Amen. Such a great time uh, worshiping the Lord together in song. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, team, for leading us. Um, For a moment, uh, as you find your way to Acts chapter 14 in God's Word this morning, uh, good morning. Everyone good? Yeah? Good morning? Okay. Um, Making sure we're good. First service, all right? Summer, first service, I know. So um, I want you to think for a moment about powerful words that you've heard. I want you to think for a moment, just in your life, what is a very powerful conversation that you had with someone? Doesn't need to be recently, could be a long time ago, could be in your childhood, could be some moment where you go, man, that conversation with that person unlocked something. Or maybe it's not just a conversation, but maybe it's reading something, which is a conversation, right? Maybe it's reading something, a book. Maybe it's reading God's Word. And you can think of a particular verse, and you remember when you read it the first time, and it hit you, and you're like, man, that something really powerful happened with that. You got yours? I want to share one with you. Uh, this past week, um, our dog, Melvin, got a letter from Joe Biden. <laughs> it's a true story. One of our kids wrote a letter to the president and signed it from our dog, Melvin. And Melvin received probably the most powerful message of his life. And it's funny, it is. It's just got to be shared at some point in a sermon. So there you go. Um, I can show it to you. It has the seal of the White House on it. Dear Melvin, your president. Um, But on a more serious note, really, like, like the Word of God is such a powerful message in our lives. And, and just the title of the message this morning is The Word in the City, because as we continue to follow Paul on this missionary journey in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, we're going to see them speak boldly, bring the message of the gospel, the Word, to the city, to the cities that they go to. And it's just important, I think, that we remember just how powerful the Word is in our own lives, too. This Word that says of itself in Scripture, it makes wise the simple. Psalm 19. This word that is a light unto our path. This word that Isaiah 55 speaks of when he says that it does not return empty. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This word that is said is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This word that is spirit-inspired, literally God-breathed and profitable and useful for equipping us for Every good work. 
this word that even when the messenger is chained, the word is not bound. This is the word that we have, this word that Jesus says to you, if you abide in my word, then you're my true disciples. And so as we consider this morning the word and the city, let's consider the word and the power of the word that these missionaries are bringing to the city. And let's not allow that to be lost on us as we begin studying this passage in Acts 14. We're looking this morning at verses 1 through 18, and we're picking up in this first missionary journey, as it is called, of Paul. We saw last week a recap. Here's a map. You can see it where they set sail from Cyprus. This is in Acts chapter 13 to the southern coast of what is today Turkey, and they made their way through the Taurus mountain range to a city called Antioch of Pisidia. This is in the region of what is known as Galatia. And we saw John Mark leave and go back to Jerusalem, and they did some ministry in the synagogue, and we looked at this last Sunday, but now for this week, they're going to go from Antioch to a place called Iconium. You can see this map. That's the whole missionary journey of Paul, but the purple is where he's at this week in the passage we're reading. He goes from Antioch to a place called Iconium. This is a large city. Modern day, this city is called Kaunia. All right? You can hear Iconium in it. Kaunia. This is a large city, 2.3 million people. You can see there a picture from today, a modern football stadium. The weather there this morning is a high of 87 and a low of 60, mostly sunny today. This is a real place that Paul and Barnabas went to with the gospel. This was an important and large city then as it is today the fifth largest city in modern Turkey. They then will go to Lystra and Derbe. These are small towns on the outskirts, rural of Iconium. One person called Lystra quiet backwater. These are smaller towns. And so let me just read to you this passage because you'll see these cities and you'll now know what they're talking about and where they're at in, in, on the map, all right? So Acts 14, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, which is our passage we're looking at this morning. And then I'll pray. All right. Now, at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. 
And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the, he was the Zeus, or he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard of it. They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. All right, so I want to quickly pray. God, we thank you this morning for the word uh, before us. Lord, we we pray and ask that you would uh, sow it into our hearts. God, your ways are higher than our ways. God, we want to see the living God who has spoken and given us the living word this morning. And so, yeah, Lord, we we confess that we come into this place this morning. We come to your word this morning. God, in some ways, not, not quite ready. And so, so, Lord, make us ready. Lord, would you show and reveal Christ to us this morning in the Word and reveal the secrets of our heart. And, Lord, help us to confess our sins. Help us to run to your arms for forgiveness and grace and for relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Word in the city. So, so we're looking this morning at this passage that I just read. And we're really breaking it down in three points, all right? So, and, it, and it's about the Word. And the first point is that the Word divides. The Word divides. And so look with me again at verse 1. The Word divides. So that's what we see in verses 1 through 7. We just see the effect of the Word as it comes to this city, modern-day Kaunya, but then Iconium. Now at Iconium, let's just go through it together. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue. Now I think it's interesting. Again, it it wasn't most efficient. It probably was not most effective. And it definitely was not easy at all to go to the synagogue first. But they did. Why? Because they had a conviction that God cared about how they did ministry. And so they did it. God's way. We looked at that last week. So they went again to the synagogue first, and it says, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. I actually find this interesting. I I think this is very, very interesting because it says they spoke in such a way. The NIV actually says it this way. They spoke so effectively that a great many people believed. What do you do with that? 
It's actually interesting, right? Because just a few verses before in the city of Antioch, where they were before, it actually said that the only people who believed were those who were appointed for eternal life. And so it's just interesting to sort of hold these two verses together. Right? You might say, why why is that interesting? Here's the question. What's the key ingredient in seeing an amazing response of belief in Christ? Is it God's sovereign appointment? Or is it man's effective teaching? Or could it be that both matter? So it says, they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, watch this, and what does it say there? Poisoned their minds against the brothers. Underline this verse. This is biblical precedent and perfect example of the unbelieving world seeking to poison the minds of people against the Word of God and against Christianity. Now, of course they are. The unbelieving world is going to behave like the unbelieving world. Lost people will behave like lost people. People who are at enmity with their Creator will behave in a way that is enmitous, if that's a word, toward the Creator. So, you know, but we should be aware of this as followers of Christ, right? Beware of where the world seeks to poison the minds of those we love and those we would wish to affect by the Word of God. Beware of where the world is strategically seeking to poison the minds and indoctrinate people against Christ. So what do Paul and Barnabas do when that's happening? Let's look at verse 3. So they remained for a long time. Now that's, now that's another good verse. Underline it too. Did they run? Did they say, everyone who's interested in the Bible, let's go to the caves. Did they run? They remained for a long time. Luke deliberately makes this the effect of the cause. In other words, it's not, oh, and as another fact, they remain for a long time. No, Luke portrays it as, as a result of them seeking to poison the minds of the people they were seeking to affect with the Word of God. They were like, you know what? We can't leave. We got to stay. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly, For the Lord, the word boldness means freely, confidently, and openly. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness. Now, this is the Lord. Who, that is the Lord, he, the Lord, bore witness to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In other words, God said, this message, these 
preachers, these apostles, these missionaries, they've got the truth, and I want to bear witness to the fact that what they're saying, not what other people are saying, but what they're saying is true by connecting with what, connecting to what they're saying, miracles and power and signs. That's what it's saying. So, verse 4. But the people of the city, do you see it? Were divided. That's, I think, the key word in all of verses 1 through 7. The word divides. They were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, into the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So poisoning of the mines did not result in running. But when that poisoning of the mines became a strategy of stoning and killing, they fled so they could live to preach another day. What's the point of this I think the point to be taken here again is that the Word of God divides. When believed by Christians and when boldly expressed by Christians, the Word of God is not meh and blah. It's plutonium. It's powerful. It is not innocuous. In verses 1 through 7, we see lines drawn and sides chosen. All division is not bad. The word divides. False peace and superficial harmony is bad. And perhaps not loving. The word divides. So, how do we live this out? And I think we ask the Lord. Lord, help us never be divisive in unnecessary ways. Lord, help us never be offensive in ways that are not needed or helpful. But Lord, even more than that, Lord, help us not believe the lie and help us to stop believing the lie that if there's division or if someone gets offended, then something's always wrong. Oh Lord, help us see that that might actually be telling us that something's very right. The word divides. Lord, give us courage to speak effectively that many might believe, but that many might recognize what the word is saying to them. The word divides. Now verse 8 through 10, the word heals. The word heals. The word in the city, the word divides and the word heals. So they flee from this wonderful, great and influential city of Iconium to the outskirts. It says, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. All right. <laughs> That's kind of repetitive there. Like Luke. We get that you were a doctor before you became a Christian, and you get really excited about the medical diagnosis part of the Bible. 
but we, we can understand without you saying it in three different ways that the person needed a healing. He's like, okay, he could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. What kind of walking would he have even done if he could not use his feet and be crippled from birth? Why was the third thing needed? It's a fair question. I think what, it, what is actually being communicated, though, by Luke, when something is said three times, it's supposed to be repetitive for emphasis. I think what he's saying is this person was medically incurable. He's saying this person needed divine healing. So what happens? Verse 9. He, that's this man who was sitting, obviously, who could not use his feet, he was crippled from birth, and he never walked. This man, it says, he listened to Paul speaking. Make a note of that. He listened, and there was speaking. Speaking of what, you might say? Well, of course, the Word, God's Word, the good news of Christ, the truth. And Paul, do you see, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. There's so much good stuff here. Paul looked intently at him. Think about that. This, this man who was sitting, who was crippled from birth, who had never walked, he was seen that day. Someone made eye contact with him that day. Who was it? It was the Christian. His pain was seen that day. He looked intently at him. You know, it's so true that people are either scenery, machinery, or ministry. It's really all in how you view people. And Christians see the intrinsic value in every person as someone created by God in his image and likeness. And so Paul much like the good Samaritan who saw the man who had been left by the roadside beaten and bruised, he saw him. Then he felt compassion for him. It says that Paul saw that he had faith to be made well. It means that this man had faith on his face. It's, it's a thing. But even more, the point here seems to be that the Word heals. Luke notes the relationship to the Word here in several ways. First, this man listened to the Word. Then he had faith in what he heard. He had faith in the Word. Then Paul told him to rise and get up, and he did. He obeyed the Word. He listened to the Word. He believed and trusted the Word. He obeyed the Word. The Word heals. Now, how do we interpret this story? Briefly, there are five options, and I do mean briefly, but think about how, how do you like, what do you make of this? How do you interpret this? One would be that, oh, okay, the gift of healing is uh, that's a normal thing for all Christians for, for every age and day. So, you know, when you turn to the channel on TV and there's a weird Christian television program on and some guy's like swinging his coat jacket and hitting people with it and they're getting healed, you're like, that's normal. Like, I have to say, that's normal. I've seen it in Scripture. That's one way to interpret that. And I would say that would not be a good way. Another way 
would be to, to take from this story, well, okay, this story seems to be saying that your faith heals you. And so when you're not healed, it's you don't have enough faith. Your faith meter is not high enough. It almost reads that way, like because he had faith on his face, because Paul could see that he believed, therefore he was ready to be healed. You could read it that way. But then what do you make of other places in Scripture where the same person, that is Paul, says that he wishes that Epaphroditus would not be sick and that he might die? What, like, was Epaphroditus not enough faith? Or Paul says he has a thorn in the flesh and he's asked three times for it to be removed. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. What, did Paul not have enough faith? So I don't think it's probably quite accurate to say that this is teaching your faith heals you. No. But let's not throw faith out with that, right? Like faith is crucial, and this passage clearly is calling attention to that. But it might be a bit too much to say this passage is teaching faith heals you. The word heals. Another option might be to see this passage as the continuation of the ministry of Christ through the apostles. In fact, if you look closely at the words in this passage, and then you turn back to Acts chapter 3, you'll see that when Peter healed a man on the way into the temple in Jerusalem at the gate, it's the same words Peter looked intently. It's almost as if Luke is saying Peter was continuing the ministry of Christ as his sent apostle, and Paul also is That'd be a good way, I think, of seeing this. You could also see it as God was using these miracles to authenticate His Word. John Calvin says, and I quote, God hardly ever allows miracles to be detached from His Word. Their true use is the establishing of the gospel in its full and genuine authority. Or here's one last way you could interpret it. And and listen, it's actually the way that it gets interpreted by the people of Lystra. Here it is. This would be the pagan interpretation. Oh, this is Zeus and Hermes, his spokesperson. This is a visit from the gods. And so we'll follow that up in our third point. But for this point, the word heals. What's the application? Listen. I'll just tell you personally, I I have never been, um, that I know of, miraculously healed from a terrible sickness, from a handicap situation, from a disease, um, by like a moment of prayer or by a moment of specific faith in the Word. That's not happened personally for me. I believe God can do that. I know people for whom that has happened. But here's what I do know. Nothing has brought more healing to my life mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, than hearing, reading, reflecting on, memorizing, 
and obeying the word of God. The word heals. The word heals. You know, the fam- there's a famous proverb, trust in the Lord in all your ways, lean not on your own understanding. Right after those verses, Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8, it says this, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The word heals. The word divides. It's not innocuous. It's not like the big nothing factor. The word divides. The word heals. Lord, give us eyes to see the suffering. Give us your eyes to see those who need to be healed. And give us faith in your word, which causes us to spring up and walk as followers of Christ. And finally, the word connects and confronts. The word connects and confronts. That's what we see happens as Paul begins to um, preach a little sermon to these people. But first, let's look at their reaction. This is their interpretation of the healing. Verse 11, it says, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Okay, so they said this in their dialect, in their language, Lyconian. And and so you, you would have to think, at first, Paul and Barnabas probably didn't know what they were saying because they didn't speak that language. And, and so this would be a great verse for just like the importance of learning other languages, people when trying to minister to them. But uh, once they started like sacrificing like animals to Paul and Barnabas, they got the idea and they refuted what was happening. But at first they probably didn't know, but they called um, them Zeus and Hermes. And there's actually uh, some evidence from literature that 50 years before this time, uh, there, there was writing about Zeus and Hermes coming to this area disguised as men and people in these towns being unwelcoming to them and them being judged for that. It's all mythology, but it's actually there. And if that's true, then these people were like, oh man, this is that story happening. Let's be really welcoming to them. Either way, continuing with what the Bible says, um, it says, and the priest of Zeus, so, so the professional priest comes out whose temple was at the entrance of the city. He brings out oxen and garlands to the gates and he wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Make a note, the religious loss, the human heart, longing always to worship, longing to make sacrifices to the divine that cover our blemishes, that curry God's favor, longing to connect with something or someone transcendent. It's universal. We're all this way. Verse 14, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd, crying out. I think this is, so, this is fascinating. You know, you'll, 
If you ever like come up to someone in church, like like if you like if you go to someone's like it's so funny. We're so funny as Christians, right? If you go to someone's uh, violin concert or guitar, let's say a guitar uh, recital. Say we go to Josh's guitar recital, okay, Josh? And he plays his songs, and then we're all like, "Josh, great job!" He's like, "Thanks." And and we're like, "Man, you did such a good job! Like you're really good at guitar." He's like, "Thank you, thank you. I work hard at it." And then we all go home. But if you come up to him after church and you say, Josh, great job. He's like, hey, 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 glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. It's like we're so quick to, to not ever say thanks. Like, thank you. It's just, it's okay. Like, we do this. We do this. And it's the funniest thing we do in church. And I'm not saying Josh would do that, but it just was a helpful example. Uh, so, so Paul and Barnabas, not speaking Lyconian and unable to do that, they do it visibly. And I would suggest this as possibly a new way that we could do it. They rip their clothes off. Just right away, right? Hey, good sermon today. <laughs> Get the picture? <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the Lord. Um, <laughs> it would change things very quickly. And so, so Paul and Barnabas, they tear their clothes as a sign outward of, of no, 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 no. We are like you. We are sinners. We are repentant. And, and, and they show contriteness, not, not welcoming the worship of people, but refusing to be worshipped. As John the Baptist said of Jesus, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. There's nothing to be gained by Paul and Barnabas in these people's view becoming celebrities or influential or important. They're like, no, no, no. No self-promotion. We won't have any of it, Paul and Barnabas say. We're just like you. It's interesting that they begin to share the word with these people. But look how they do it. It's very different than how they did it in the synagogue in Antioch. They start with creation. They start with creation. And they say the God who made everything, heaven and earth, the living God who made the sea and all that is in them. And so with these people who do not have the common ground and background of the Old Testament, the prophets, all of that, they Start with creation. Verse 15 is, is after, you know, after they tear their garments. Verse 15, Paul says, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave without himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. It's really amazing how flexible Paul and Barnabas are as they preach the gospel. They start with creation. They, they cite common grace. 
They say, listen, you may never have heard of the God of the Bible, of Yahweh, or of Jesus Christ, his one and only son, God the Son. You may never have heard of any of this. You've only heard of Zeus and Hermes and Greek mythological gods, but listen, you've benefited. You've benefited from his blessings. He has done enough in your life to cause you to seek him, to pursue him, to want to know him. He's put a witness in your life through these common graces and blessings. And these things are sufficient to make you want to know who is this God. That's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. And they are sharing the word of God with these pagans. And it's just amazing to think about how the word connects It connects with people where they are. Paul could have just started reading Old Testament verses from Isaiah, but he doesn't. Why? Because they don't know about that. He connects with them where they are. And you can start in different places as you minister to people as long as you end in the same place. The cross of Christ. The word connects and it confronts. One quote that just says what I'm saying is by John Stott, and he says, the context within which Paul preached to the Jews in Antioch was Old Testament scripture, its history, prophecies, and law. But with the pagans in Lystra, he focused on a script. He did not focus on a scripture they did not know, but on the natural world around them, which they did know and could see. And so the word connects. But the word also confronts, doesn't it? Look, look at how they say to, to these people in Lystra, turn from these vain things to the living God. Think about that. The word confronts idolatry. The human heart is a factory of idols, particularly the unsaved human heart, but we still have our sinful natures in us, even as Christians, and so the human heart is an idol factory. The people or things other than God, other than Jesus, that we look to and say, I must have that to be okay, to be happy, to feel secure, to feel in control, to feel right, to feel justified, to feel at peace. I must have that. The things other than God that we look to in that way, those things are idols. Those things are what Paul would call a vain thing, a functional savior a false God. Our more sophisticated idols in the West in 2023 are no better than the vain things on the plains in Lystra. Money, status, food, substance, approval, a title, a job, a career, a bank balance, clothing, a relationship, a marriage, a family, children, a degree, a GPA, anything 
other than God that we point to to say, if I have that, I will ultimately be okay. It's, this passage is so amazing. The people of Lystra were ecstatic and they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. Just think of the irony of that. What an amazing open door to share the gospel of God the Son, Jesus coming down and taking on human nature performing powerful miracles. And instead of receiving all the sacrifices, offering himself up as a sacrifice on the cross that those who trust in him might be forgiven and saved forever. The word connects. The word confronts. Lord, help us be like Paul and Barnabas. Help us be like Christ. Help us have a heart to see only you worshipped. Help us to be selfless. Help us to be oriented toward others. And Lord, help us to be flexible like Paul. Lord, show us ways to connect with those around us and point them to Christ as we see in your word, the word in the city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.